the recording making sure that it's running the mic's there we're just waiting for the last gentlemen to fold their glasses and then we'll um, we'll start Mike, do you mind if we start? Yeah, please do. Don't let our alcoholic tendencies hold you up. All right, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, tonight is a very special evening, and I'd just like to thank everybody that have, that have come to the Business Book Club tonight. You know, I, I, I thought about this before the evening started. And it is such a privilege to have everybody here. It's a privilege for you to have donated your books to the Business Book Club. Um, you know, those books go to, to people who are less fortunate than us in terms of having access to knowledge. And that's really where the Business Book Club started. It's, uh, it's about a cause that is, um, you know, it's more than what we are. Uh, because at the end of the day, we, we only know what we, what we know. And you, and you don't know what you don't know, which is the problem. Um, and it was interesting, somebody, somebody said to me the other day, but yeah, Jack, you're saying this, this thing about knowledge and you don't know what you don't know, because people are starting to use it as an excuse. Because they just now say, I don't know. Because I don't know what I don't know. And I thought about that, and I was, hmm. So, so the interesting thing about that, because if you, if you use this as an excuse, what are you really saying? Are you then saying that um, I'm not in charge of what I can know? You know, so are you playing a bit of the victim role on the other side and saying, you know, I don't know it, so, you know, it's not my fault? Or is knowledge your responsibility? And I, th I think because we, we know what we know, we probably know that knowledge is our responsibility. But there are people that probably don't know that it's their responsibility. Uh, but by donating our books, they, they go to a library that we've been earmarked in uh, Soweto. It's called Signature Library. So, so these books go back into a system, and the system is important to us. Because when it goes back into the system, you get the books rotated, and knowledge gets rotated. And we are very sad to say that Musa, who, who, who spearheads the Signature Library and Soweto, cannot be here tonight. They've had some political unrest in, in, in their township. The EFF removed their, their ward, or their councillor. Um, because we wanted to show you some of the, the amazing things that he is doing there and how the signature library is actually blossoming. Um, and one of the reasons is because of our donations. You know, those, those shelves are full, so thank you very much. And tonight, I don't want to speak too much, because I'm going to have a beautiful interview with, with, our, with our author tonight, but I've got a special announcement to make tonight. You know, when you start initiatives, and when you run businesses, uh, things change. Um, and when you start stuff, I, you know, can, I, can, I, can I see who's here for the first time? So I just need to check in with who's here for the first time. Find that amazing. Welcome. Welcome for the first time. And hopefully we'll see you again and again. Um, Peru here has, has started something. A business, a charity, something from scratch. Who's, who's done that? Okay. So, so you'll, con you'll, you'll agree with me that it's absolute chaos when you start. You don't always know where things are going to end up. You don't always know where things are going to work out. Um, and you hope, and you've got hope, and you've got passion, and you, and you try your best. 
And I've been very fortunate with the Business Book Club to have met people that support me in this course. Uh, because on my own, there's absolutely no ways that, I, that, that the Business Book Club could be this. Because there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. And I remember our first, well, one of our first authors cancelled very close to the event date. Uh, and believe me, when you're just starting up a business like this and stuff like that happens, you go, oh my god, is this worth it? I mean, who do these authors think they are? <laughs> that they can just cancel the day beforehand. Um, but that happens. You know, life happens because they get paying gigs. This is not a paying gig. Um, and you've got to sort of start to understand that. But I've had tremendous support um, in the form of a beautiful lady who's here tonight. And I would really like to give her lots of thanks. And I want to extend all my gratitude towards her. And Jane, you are that beautiful lady that I am so grateful for you. So the other thing about running a business is sometimes you've also got to realize when you have to step out. And the reason why you've got to step out is because you need other people to flourish and you need things to grow. Um, and you need to focus on other stuff because life is really about focus and getting the right stuff and the right people doing the right stuff. So tonight, I, it's a big announcement for me, and I'm very proud to announce that there's a new CEO for the Business Book Club. Really? I'm going to step aside as the founder, as the CEO, um, and focus more on my business, which is centered, which is really um, taking off at this stage. And I'm going to be involved as the founder of the Business Book Club in a strategic way, together with the leadership team, which is Arthur and Jan. And we'll, we'll support the Business Book Club from a strategic point to make sure that this thing grows because there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes that are amazing and we are extremely excited because it's really about influencing and, and distributing more knowledge in our country. You know, the time is right, these things need to happen and we are extremely excited about that. You know, the Signature Library is only one library, but we've got plans. But I don't want, you know, I, I want to step out of announcing those plans and rather leave that to the more appropriate person who is our new CEO. So I'd like you to give a big hand of applause to Jane Collett, the new CEO of the Business Book Club. So before I completely give over to Jane, because she's, she's, she's actually, you know, I, I know we all are, you know, we all don't, don't necessarily like it when, when we have to talk about ourselves. Uh, except Garfield, I don't know if anybody has seen that, that uh, cartoon about Garfield. It's my favorite one where he says, sure, enough me talking about me, you talk about me for a while. <laughs> but that's not the case over here. I would like to say a few things about Jane and, and why I appreciate her so much and why I'm feeling that handing, it, handing over the CEO runs to her um, is the right thing and why I've got so much confidence. Now, now Jane, is not a true South African because she wasn't born here. But she's been here long enough to have gone through everything needed to be to be a South African. Um, she started she started off in England in her career um, and she's worked there for big corporates and she's worked there on, on many big projects. And she came into South Africa in about 1980, 82. My memory is not too bad. And she started off selling mainframes in South Africa. IBM mainframes. Anybody remember the word mainframe? <laughs> so it's like, what does mainframe mean? It's all in the cloud, man. Um, you know, that's like when you explain to your kids what a fax machine is, or um, you know, when when we grew up, we had the telephone and we had to ring that thing in the centrale. 
Yes. But but Jane Jane has, has 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 done that. She's been involved with the sales. Jane understands how to run events. She had her own company for more than 20 years. Um, she was the CEO of her own company, working on big accounts. Um, Jaguar was one of them. There was a there was a bunch of them. So she she is the right person to take the business book club to the next level to run these events because this is an event company. And behind the scenes, we are looking after, and we've got a purpose and a mission to fill. So I'm going to hand it over to Jane. And Jane, I'm wishing you the utmost success. And I know that you will take the business book club to the next level. So well done. privilege uh, to be in this position and I was going to say that as usual Jack stole my punchline I was going to say thank you for trusting in me and I will take it to the next level yeah. for you thank you to everybody thank you to our regulars um, lovely to see newcomers welcome everyone to a fantastic event that's really gaining momentum uh, we started last April and last year we collected some 1,600 books already in my garage. I have probably another 250 books collected this year. Um, so we're going from strength to strength. As Jacques said, Musa was going to be here this evening. It's a great pity because of political issues. Um, but our partnership with the Signature Library has really gone from strength to strength as well. And so much so they've actually won a first prize for a major project in Hateng. And uh, Moose was going to tell you about that, but unfortunately he can't make it. But I think my more exciting news, and Chuck uh, okay by announcing exciting news, uh, is that we have managed to uh, build a relationship with the Dix Business School, and we will be opening our first business book club at the Gibbs Business School for their alumni. And that will be on the 19th of April. And we're really so excited. It's such an achievement for us. So as you can see, we're going from strength to strength. And um, I will take it to the next level for Jacques. And I just hope you'll keep coming. And please tell your friends, post on your Facebook, do your social media, but please keep joining us at these events. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy the evening with Tracy and Jacques. Thank you. If you're on Facebook, please check in tonight. Uh, the Business Book Club has got an event, so that would be much appreciated if you can do that. And without further ado, Tracy, welcome to the Business Book Club and welcome to the review of your book. Thanks so much, Jacques. It's wonderful to be here. And uh, thanks to all of you for making the special effort to be here. So it's really exciting for me. Cool. Now, Tracy, we always talk about books. Um, and I'm, I'm going to start off with the title of your book, The Leadership Riptide. I mean, okay, so first of all, why did Tracy write this book? Why did you feel you had to say this? And how did you get to this title? Okay, so let me start with, with why, um, why did I write it? You know, I think there's a growing disillusionment with the world of work out there. You know, people are feeling like it's something to endure, something to escape from. I mean, even our faces, when we talk about work, it's, it's sort of you... You make a, a, a really negative kind of expression. And, you know, even, I mean, it's, it's not just anecdotal. I mean, Gallup measure, the engagement levels are at rock bottom. 
Um, you know, people just are not engaged, are not loving what they do. And I really don't think that that's what work is meant to be like. Um, Zach, my son, is here tonight, he's 12. And I'd really hate for him to grow up and think that's what work is. So, you know, things are, are not going fantastically. And I think in a lot of cases, when I was thinking about this and wondering about it, and obviously I've worked in, in the field for, for quite a long time, it's, you know, um, a lot of the stuff that we're currently doing in the workplace is, you know, things like performance management, incentives, bonuses, are actually the exact opposite of creating the environment that, that we need to create as leaders, that the environment that will inspire and motivate people and make them more productive. So I felt like there's, we need to change the way that we do things. We need, leaders need to change the way that, that we do things. And the, the sort of, um, the hope really comes from all of the, the um, research that's coming out of neuroscience and behavioral science really shows that, as I say, in often there's a huge discrepancy between what science knows and what business does. So there's really, there's a way that we need to go and I felt like I wanted to actually just sketch that out, put it on paper and um, you know when, when you kind of begin with the end in mind, um, at least you know where you are heading to. That was all just the one question. <laughs> okay, so the riptide. Okay, so the riptide, a lot of people ask me this, and it's quite ironic because, I mean, there could be no worse swimmer in the room than me. Okay, so just let's forget that. I think Michael might be. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. Um, but what really struck me is, you know, when I was thinking about leadership, I thought, you know, if anyone of, of us, if, if you know what it's like to be caught in a riptide, I actually have been caught in a riptide, you swim and swim and swim and swim and then you look up and you know closer to the shore and then you swim and swim and swim some more and you know, you expend an enormous amount of effort and you don't achieve anything. And that, that was the mental picture that really resonated with me when I was thinking about leadership. We are doing so much. There's so much activity going on. Um, there's, there's so much stuff that, that we're trying to do and we're actually not really making a difference. So just to finish the analogy of the riptide, you know, if you're caught in a riptide, you need to swim differently. You, you need to do things differently. And, and that was really what resonated with me was if we want to change the environment, the workplace that, that, that we are working in and we want to change it for future generations, we need to start leading differently. I can, I can remember my, my kindergarten teacher one of the first things they taught us was about the sea. Was the one was never turn your back on the sea. So you, you know, whenever you go close to the waves, don't turn around. And then the other thing was when, when you are on a riptide, don't swim. Well, now you're getting technical. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, you're supposed to swim sideways, or you, you're supposed to not do what you instinctively have been doing. And I think that for me is you know, keeping it to the analogy of what leaders need to do. So we need to create a different environment out there. So, so, so what do we instinctively do as, or what do leaders instinctively do that they shouldn't be doing? Well, you know, I, I don't want to sort of get caught up in terms, but a lot of it is management. Um, in a way, we're sort of over-managing and under-leading, I think. Um, there's a lot of management tools that we rely on. We rely on spreadsheets, we rely on performance management evaluations, and, and we, we rely on you know, your big, hairy, audacious goal to inspire people. That's not gonna happen. 
You know, their performance is not going to change. Behavior is not going to change because you've given them a three out of five in their performance management, um, you know, evaluation. So I think we've kind of outsourced a lot of what I believe is leadership to management tools. Um, and I'm not saying you don't, you know, I'm not saying sort of chuck it out, we don't need management tools. But I'm saying that there's a real lack of leadership in terms of, it's, leadership is about connecting with people. It's, a, it's about influencing people. Um, and, and for me, that is absolutely central to the whole thing. You know, I think that the hierarchical sort of history that we've had, you know, from the industrial age to a lot of the, the kind of mining, um, you know, factory kind of environments is, is very command and control. Um, and I think we need to change it to more connection. We need to connect with people to inspire them. So, so if leadership is that, um, what, 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 what can I do if I'm on the receiving end of that? So if I'm on the receiving end of the command and control, um, you know, because I can assume that some people that are sitting here, some people have got people that they manage, some people might be just involved in, 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 in teams or environments where good leadership is maybe not being displayed. Um, you know, is there hope for me? Well, I'm an eternal optimist, so I think there's always hope. And I think that we underestimate, um, you know, we're very caught up in positions. And actually, you have enormous influence. Your influence and your leadership is not linked to your title, your place on the organogram, or your reserved parking spot. You can influence. You can influence your boss. You can influence the people around you. So I think it is really up to us to, to start feeling like we can make a difference and to, and to feel empowered. Um, yes, I know a lot of people are, are in environments that are actually toxic. I mean, the other day um, I was at Zach's school and I bumped into a fellow um, school mom and she just left a huge job in corporate banking. A huge salary, you know, title, everything, security. Um, and I said to her, you know, Liesl, how's it going? You know, how are you feeling? She looked like a different person. And she said to me, you know, I, I can't tell you how amazing it is to be free because I'm, I'm finding myself again and I'm doing stuff that I never did and I'm creative again. But she said, here is the fantastic thing. I don't wake up every morning thinking, who is going to destroy me today? And I was like, Oof. and I know, you know, we, we work a lot with corporates and there, there's a lot of toxicity out there. And I think a lot of it actually emanates from the lack of leadership, the lack of calling out people's strengths, um, you know, creating competitive environments where it's unnecessary, um, and, and making people feel very insecure. That leads to politics, that leads to a toxic environment. This is very heavy for this time of night. <laughs> no, no, there's no, but I mean we're heavy people, so it's fine. Um, we're all a bunch of intellectuals here, totally getting it, understanding it, eating this stuff for breakfast. Hey, just not your ears. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that you said there that I'm thinking about. You know, the one thing is, you know, life is short. And if, we, if you can do the math in terms of how much time you're spending at work, you know, you need to make it worthwhile. Yeah. And, and for that, so what, you, what, what, what you're really saying is when you look at this book, you know, you think leadership replied and how to escape. Well, I'm not a leader. I, you know, I don't have to read this. What you're saying is you are a leader, no matter what role you're filling, you know, whether, because those type of skills you would apply you know, whether I'm working with a supplier trying to, to, to buy stuff or get stuff done or, or even my family, you know, you, you have children or you have brothers and sisters, you know, whatever it is, this book has got tools and stuff in 
that would be able to assist me. Very much so, and I've got my, my family here as witness. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I do out there in the boardroom, these, these are the poor guinea pigs. They're still standing, but just. <laughs> so, no, I think, I mean, it is. In, in whatever, whatever role you find yourself in, for me, it's about influence. That's, that's what it is. It's about where and how you influence people. So, so Tracy has structured this book very nicely. You know, she starts off with the as-is scenario, and she talks about you know the kind of environment and how that is, and then she talks about she talks about future co. You know, what could an ideal company look like, and you know, what do I, what are the right stuff to put in, and then she talks about the harmony way. And I want you to share with us the harmony because there's stuff about you and harmony. I'm not sure how many of you know about the harmony deal and what's the stuff that went on there, which is fascinating. But but in a in a, in a nutshell, what are, what are some of the the tips and tricks or tools. I know there's strengths finders in here that you speak about, you know, working on your strengths. What is what is for you like the 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 top one or two things that if I could apply that as a as a reader in your book after I've read it, you know, if I just have to go onto that, you know, and apply that, how, how would that make a difference in my life? That's really an unfair question. I've written so many words there <laughs> to answer that question and now you're asking me for like two or three. It's not nice. Um, but I'll try. You know, I think as a leader, you have to give people hope. You have to paint a compelling picture of the future that doesn't exist. Um, and you have to do it in a way that is inspiring. I talk in the book about talking the language of love rather than the language of business. I mean, Martin Luther King said, I have a dream, not I have a KPI. Um, so, you know, we've got to actually get to the emotional stuff. So, so painting a, a clear and compelling picture of the future. Um, secondly, I think it's about using stories to make your message stick. You know, storytelling is an amazing tool, as you know. And I think that, you know, we, we totally underutilize this in business. We are all storytellers. We all have that ability. And I'm not talking about that if you're kind of thinking of sort of Kumbaya, around the fire, you know, sort of that kind of story. I'm talking about actual real anecdotes that happen. I mean, if you think of your sort of average Saturday night out um, at, uh, you know, having a braai or, you know, a dinner party, I mean, it's, well, I haven't been out where the host has hauled out the PowerPoint deck to sort of get the conversation going. We tell stories, but when we walk into the, into the corporates, we suddenly switch that off. And stories are a very powerful tool to get your message to stick. So clear, inspiring picture of the future, using storytelling, and then absolutely, fundamentally, like I can't emphasize this enough, is listening. I mean, I, I really feel like your ears are the persuasion tool, not your mouth. Um, just listening to people and what they have to say um, and then reflecting that back to people is such a powerful tool. I mean, it, it, it really makes them feel empowered, makes them feel autonomous. Okay, and one more, sorry. Focusing on people's strengths rather than trying to um, get rid of or develop their weaknesses. Um, so, yeah, four things. Yeah, so that, that was um, focusing on strengths, doing the listening part. I remember my granny was saying, and so that's two ears and one mouth. There's a reason you have that. Um, and then the other one was, was telling stories. But I mean, telling stories, 
it's, it, it's very much the vibe going around, uh, you know, on social media and, you know, and, and, and leadership and telling stories. But, you know, telling a story, how, how do I tell a story? You know, I can tell, I can tell Mike a story, um, and I can, you know, I can tell Vernon a story, but, but how do I go to my boss and tell him a story? Because, you know, he's just going to laugh at me. Not really. It depends how you do it. And, I, I mean, having, having said stories are very powerful, one does need to sort of approach it with a little bit of caution. So I'm not talking here about like Luke Skywalker, sorry Zach, the hero's journey, he's a Star Wars fan. <laughs> um, so it's not like we have to be, you know, um, skilled in that. But if you think about, you know, things like values, they are so ethereal, they are so abstract. Um, and we talk about integrity, for example. But if I say to you, you know, and you're a, a mining client of mine. If I say to you, you know, yesterday I arrived at the shaft, I went through the gate, Jabalani, the security guard, you know, signed me in, and unbeknown to me, I happened to drop my wallet, and I went to my meeting, and on my way out, he had my wallet for me. And, you know, I was amazed and thrilled. Now that's integrity. So it's really about knowing how to use an anecdote to make a point, because if you do it, um, you know, quickly, and it, it, it creates a, a concrete sort of, it, you know, people can almost see that movie in the head, you know, um, and that's, that's the power of stories. It makes things memorable and, con and concrete. So, so it tells how people should act and behave. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we need to get that out of the people so that, you know, that they understand what the company stands for. Now, okay, so, so, so that story, and I, I would ask you more about story when we talk about harmony, but you also spoke about strengths. You know, so, what, but what about my weaknesses? You know, what about the stuff that I'm bad at? You know, can I just like ignore that? Makes me feel uncomfortable if I just like ignore my, my weaknesses because, <laughs> no, but that's a weakness of mine, I can't. <laughs> okay, I, I think I talk about this in the book, but I have never had a good performance appraisal session. I've never ever left that session feeling, yay, you know, I'm, I'm gonna change the world from this. Um, and I think that we, we really do ourselves a huge disservice to try and make, we, we kind of have this mental picture that everybody is the perfect 10 employee. You know, if we get 10 out of 10 on all those whatever dimensions there are in the form, will be amazing. And then all those perfect teams are gonna like, you know, add together and make an amazing business. That isn't how it works. I mean, you change the world with your strengths, not your weaknesses. And I'm not saying that you need to completely ignore your weaknesses. But if you look at a team and you understand who does what and who's good at what and what the strengths are, you can really work together incredibly well and and say, well, you know what, I'm not great at this, but you are, and you love doing it. And you know what strengths, what's so fantastic, is I've never found anyone that's good at something that won't help you with that, for free. It's like, if someone's great at IT, or engineering, or processes, or whatever, you say, you know, please, can, can you help me with this? Can you, can you help me map it out, or whatever? They'll go, you know, with pleasure, absolutely. Whereas, I would, you know, I'm, I'm not good at that, and I would sit for hours and hours and not do half that job. Um, so I think focusing on strengths has got incredible value. 
Yes, because if you focus on you know focusing on becoming excellent at that, then it's supposed to have strong weaknesses rather have excellent strengths. One of the things that I really appreciated in this book, and it's something that I, that I do with my clients in meetings that we start with, and, and, and you talk about it in the book as well, is you start, start any engagement that you have with another person, um, not by, oh, the traffic was so hectic, and yeah, our country, where is it going? And, and that's like probably not the right way to start any engagement when you start with something. So we don't want to hang out with people like that. Um, you want to hang out with people that start an engagement on a positive note. So, so I, I know when I start meeting with clients and when I, you know, when I engage in meetings, you start with either good news or something that you're grateful for. Uh, it, sends, it sends neural pathways into your mind and it just, it just creates your creativity. But what you did, and which I really like, what she mentions in this book, is you start, you start with appreciation. You talk about the appreciation tool in here where you, where you turn around, where you, where you end the meeting. So, so sorry, that's how you, you begin it and then you end it with appreciation. And I was thinking about that because that's a tool that is not just for business. I mean, that should be a life. I mean, when was the last time we sat around the, the dinner table with our family and say, you know what, I appreciate you, and these are the three, three reasons I appreciate. You know, that could be your spouse, your lover, your daughter, your, your friends. I mean, when was the last time you, you went to a friend and you gave them three reasons why you appreciate their friendship? You know, that's the type of stuff that we talk about when we talk about leadership. It's not just the title. Very much so, you know, and I think that a lot of things just, you know, in terms of just, for example, appreciation that you've mentioned, they are, they sound like sort of small things, but they actually make people feel completely different. You know, whenever we do appreciation, it's, it's actually quite funny because, you know, people that have done it before, they're, they're sort of like a, ooh, uh -huh. no, I can see people that I work with, I'm nodding and smiling, Darren. <laughs> But, you know, there's that, like, discomfort of, you know, you, but at the end of the meeting, things are completely different. Because we don't ever say out loud to each other what we really value. And that makes all the difference in the world. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Because when you connect with people, um, this is something different that happens. There's chemistry, there's connections, and people, you know, your whole vibe changes. And, and, and the collaboration just it, it becomes explosive. Tracy, has anybody like to ask a question so far? Because I'm going to go into harmony and there's a lot of interesting stuff here about harmony. But has anybody like to ask a question for Tracy about, about leadership and what leadership means for you and in your life? Um, or maybe just a statement that you would like to make. We will welcome that. Is there anybody that would like to put up their hand and, and say something? Yes. So it's, so it's really about the scoreboard, it's not about the spreadsheet. So it's about the scoreboard and what's what with the information that is on that, um, that could make a difference. And yeah. I'm so pleased you mentioned that because, you know, it's not to say that, that we shouldn't have a scoreboard, we shouldn't have numbers, but it's all about progress. And I talk, I, 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 there's one chapter in my book where I talk about that. So it's, you know, the thing is that that is the motivating part of it, is we've actually moved 
from A to B. But if you, you know, I think where it's quite a subtle thing, I think where we make the mistake is we kind of do the spreadsheet or have the goal, but we don't focus on how we are progressing in terms of getting there. And then we lose it and we, we lose that opportunity. So thank, thanks so much for, for mentioning that. And that's obviously, I mean, let, let, let's talk a bit about Tracy here for a while, um, where, where, where Tracy comes from, because before this, Tracy did her, her MBA, no, 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 before that, I think what you don't know about this, this young lady is where she all started, and she had a dream, and she went through a process of where, where that dream didn't work out, and she had to start over, and she had to start with something else. Do you want to just share with us a little bit about that, and then... Okay, so you want me to really talk about me now? Absolutely, <laughs> yes. So, when I was 10, I dreamed of winning Wimbledon. Um, and obviously I didn't, otherwise I wouldn't be at the business book club. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you never know. You, you never know. know. You never know. But, um, but what it did do for me was it, it really motivated me to work hard. And eventually when I was 18, I got a tennis scholarship to a US university. Um, things were working out really well. I was playing fantastic tennis and, and all fell into place. Um, for the first time, our team had a chance of winning the conference, and, and everything was going really, really well. Uh, except, I picked up a little niggling injury, sciatica, down my leg. And, um, you know, I thought, just ignore it, it'll go away, but it didn't. And then I started popping the pain pills, and that really sort of worked for a bit. And pretty soon, I was getting injections into my back before every match. Um, and that worked well enough um, until it actually didn't work. Um, and of course it was the big match, the conference final, had my usual shot into my back and I went on and warmed up. Um, and then something else happened that, that had never happened before. I was, I, I, not only was I feeling no pain, I was also feeling no leg. So my whole leg had gone completely numb from, from quite severe nerve damage, I, learned, I later learned. And, you know, I, I looked across, I mean, I didn't really know what to do. I was 18 and in a foreign country and so I looked across at my coach sitting on the sidelines and I thought, thank goodness, you know, he's got my back, he'll know what to do. So I made my way over as best as I could and I told him what had happened. And his response was, you better pull yourself together and stop your nonsense or you'll lose your scholarship. Um, so, you know, and that was just crushing for me. It was so unexpected and I, I really felt like he didn't care about me and, and, and I was just a, a resource that wasn't particularly useful to him at that point. The, without sort of boring you with all the gory detail, eventually I had a spinal fusion, I came back to South Africa, so the tennis part of the dream ended. But I mean, I learned a lot from, from that whole process. I mean, now I still believe in the power of visualizing what the future could look like, because that's the stuff that gets you out of, the bed, out of your bed in the morning. My family still do not believe that I used to wake up every morning at five o'clock in the morning to practice my serves because I now I did it for so long. Now I sleep in, you know, so they don't believe me, but I promise you I did it. But I think you know you learn a lot of a lot of skills, a lot of thinking techniques, um, you know, from from that process. And you know you learn that that things don't always work out the way you wanted them to work out, but there are other plans. Yeah. Oh. 
if you stay afterwards and you um, have some 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 wine stresses, I'll show you all those gory details about <laughs> about that trip because I can imagine that that was quite a I mean at a young tender age and far country and all of all. Okay, but then you went on you did your MBA, you went through the corporate sphere, you 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 were on big projects, many projects. Um, and then through the consultancy company, you ended up with Harmony. Um, and, and how was that? I mean, it was a mining company, I mean a boring company, they're in the free state, where nothing is for free, everything's out of the state. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah you know, I, um, I started off working in advertising and I spent my, the beginning part of my career in advertising, doing strategic planning. And you know, then I, as you say, got involved in mining. Uh, you know, in a in a surprising way. I mean, I and a lot of the people that I worked with in advertising always sort of said to me, "Mining, you know, what are you thinking?" But it just it just really worked out in terms of you know the mining industry at the time. I think was really looking for solutions and. A lot of the companies, or it's particularly Harmony, were wanting to do things differently. And I was very interested in how to take some of the principles I'd learned in marketing and advertising and apply it to the employee audience, because it just made sense to me. We, we needed to do things differently. I had a lot of theories and a lot of ideas, but I had no practical experience. Um, I didn't tell my clients that at first. Um, they started. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a very good, fertile ground that was open for change. But share with us that, I mean, because you, know, you, you, you had these ideas. What were these ideas? Because I've read your books, I know what they are, but these ideas must have been, I mean, you, you oh, I remember that one story that you speak about and you go walk into this boardroom full of old, white, corporate men, and the one called you, Lovey. <laughs> It was a, it actually still hurts <laughs> to, to write that bit and to relive it still hurts. So, no, you know, the thing is you go into the establishment and you go with, you know, surely this, we need to do things differently, things aren't working, but you also have to be prepared for, for the resistance and for all the stuff that comes with it. Yeah, the guy said, well, you know, lovey, do you really expect me to believe that you're going to go out to my mind workers and change the way things work? Um, you know, obviously it was rhetorical, I didn't answer, but, uh, but I never went back there again, you know. So, yeah, you've, you've got to be prepared for that kind of thing. And that's what self-leadership is about, it's about taking ideas that you might not have tried, believe in it, and, and put it through, even when some old dude calls you lovey, um, and you feel like you want to run away and, and go and do something else, but you then ended up with another company we presented, I think that was Harmony, yeah. and they did not call you those names. Not I know at <laughs> all. <laughs> <laughs> no. It was actually, you know, no, it, it's really strange how things sometimes work, but it was, in, in my book I talk about the Ides of March, you know, because it was one week in March 2000, so quite a long time ago, and the Monday was the one presentation, and the Thursday was the other presentation, and the Monday presentation was so terrible. You, you know that feeling when you just feel like you're sort of dying, you know, in, in little pieces. Um, that it was that was the lovely presentation, um, and it was so bad that I said to the guy that I was working with at the time, "Look, I mean, I, I want to give up. You know, I don't want to do this. I, I've had it. I mean, this is enough. Let's kind of pack up, go home, whatever." And he said, "No, but 
we've just got this one meeting with this 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 maverick guy and his team, Bernard Swanepoel, and you know, they're young and dynamic and you know, come on, you know, we can do this. And I said, well, you know what, we'll have to do it very differently. And that was the Thursday. Um, and it did turn out to be a very different kind of meeting. And uh, I have to say, I'm very pleased that I went to that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Mostly Bernard's happy too about that. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but what made it different? I mean, what did you present to them and why did they buy into it? You know, I think, that, you know, in terms of content, it wasn't hugely different, but we decided to do it in a slightly different way. It was much more interactive, much more sort of question and answer. Um, but what really made it different was they were open to it. They were receptive. So they were, you know, and, and they weren't looking for like where, you know, give us the sort of list of places where this has worked before, um, because that didn't exist. So it was really their attitude that they, they said, you know what, we, we want to do this, we want to fix this problem. We are doing fantastically externally. I mean, the team, you know, was told me, and Bernard told me, you know, at the time, Harmony was this amazing story, uh, standing ovations in New York and New Orleans and with external shareholders and not so much in Valcom and Virginia. So they said, you know what, how do we get our people on board? How do we actually deliver the story that everybody, the whole, the rest of the world has bought into? You know, and, and I mean, I, you know, the, the company I was working with and, and myself were very honest and we said, we've got some ideas, we've never done this. But their attitude was such that it was like, well, let's try, let's do this, let's have a go. Um, and, and, you know, it's quite scary when someone does say that to you, because then you kind of go, I hope it works. <laughs> I didn't say that to them, but, you know, it, it, you, you have an opportunity. And, but the thing was, I think what was fantastic about working in, with that team and in that environment was that perfection was not expected. You know, so it wasn't like everything that you did had to work. There was a, a, a sort of, you know, let's try it. If it doesn't work out, we'll try something else. And I think that is just the best thing ever if you're going to try and change things and, and innovate. So you've got to do it with the, with the right partners. Yeah. Um, you know, that buys into the same philosophy and the same thinking. I mean, yeah. that's, that's always very important, you know, when you want to deliver great work, yeah. is to do it with great people. Because doing great work on your own just never really happens. Um, but I mean, there's, there's, there's some beautiful stories in here that, that, that Bernard did and, and about storytelling. And the one that I recall is the emails that he wrote to his staff on a, on, a, on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, just giving them input. But he writes them a story, which was lovely to read. Just giving them an update on what's happening in the company. Um, I mean, that, that is storytelling 101. Yeah, yeah that was... Um you know, I've got to be very careful here who takes the credit for that. <laughs> um, but, but I think what happened, you know, often in, in corporates, we're very formal in our communication. It's almost like, don't see my message, but don't see me, the person. And um, that was a tool that we now call In My Shoes. And it's basically for the CEO to share, or, or any leader, to sort of share his thinking, what it's like to be him. Um, and I think, if I recall, and I'm not giving you the mic, so you can't like disagree with me on this. <laughs> but 
I think, you know, that was an idea that, that we chatted about and then Bernard actually implemented it. So he used to literally write almost like dear diary, you know, what he was thinking. And he's very authentic, so it wasn't always the good stuff, the perfect message. I always sort of, we have a joke that it's in Rustenburg English because then it sounds exactly like he speaks. So, you know, it's, it's got to, it, I think why that works so well is because it's authentic. It, it really, you know, and, and people loved it. They, they really enjoyed it. So for recovering perfectionists like you and me, um, that, that's then what it is. You know, we shouldn't be writing a story in craft like the perfect words and, 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 and be worried. What, when we tell stories, it must just come from the heart. And I, and I noticed that with social media too, you know, there's a lot more trend of just taking viral YouTube clips, you know, instead of the, the perfect studio clip where everybody looks pretty. Um, the other ones, the, 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 the viral one seems to be taking, taking a lot. I'm not sure if Stephen there at the back is going to agree with me, but maybe you've got a comment on that, Stephen. Just a quick question for Deborah on that, because she mentioned something and I want to relate that back to the story. Have you guys in Scoops got the book, the Book of Joy, with Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama? If, they, if they've got the book, please go and buy that. Because in that, the Dalai Lama refers to, and it's a beautiful, beautiful book about just authenticity and how that works. Because the Dalai Lama talks about uh, formalities and he, and, he, and he teases the Japanese about all their formalities. Because he says if you strip that, you get down to the authenticity. Yeah. And that is really yeah. what, it, what it is about. No, I think, you know, it's, it's a learning curve. I mean, there's no way. I'm also in rehab for perfectionism. <laughs> but I think that, um, you know, we've got to realize that people, you know, how you connect with people, the way that you connect with people is to be authentic and to not always have all the answers and to also share a little bit more about who you are. I mean, I honestly, for like probably the 20 years in business, would do a great PowerPoint presentation, very conceptual, lovely models, but none of me in it. Um, and yeah, some people like that, but you never really get to the level where you can lead and really influence people. So you have to put, you have to be okay, I think, to put yourself in there. And it comes with, you know, you open yourself up. You, you know, you tell your story and some people might not like that. Um, but I think you have to actually be vulnerable. It's part of, of connecting with people. The human element. Has anybody here been on a mine? Except, except Bernard. So for those of you who don't know, this is Bernard Sonnebaum. So he used to be the CEO of Harmony. So we can get all the, all the nice and, and interesting, I wouldn't say dirty, but a mine is dirty. So you know, it will be, it will be dirty in here. Has anybody here been on a mine? That's Goldrick City Park. <laughs> 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 Only if you've gone down the shaft, mine. Okay, well then, then that counts, absolutely. But I mean, a mine is an interesting place. And, and, and you can imagine communication in a mind because people are a few feet underground and you can imagine how simple communication is. You just take a little dove, put a little a note on it, send it downstairs, or what, I don't know what birds they use. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's as simple as that, you know, and they, they get the message. And when something breaks down at the bottom of the mine and they've got to transport stuff, you know all they do is they take that same dump because they don't cook and eat it down there. They put a message on it and they send it back up and you know, it just absolutely works smooth. Yes. So, let me tell you about the first time I went underground. Um, I, you know, you, 
you kind of have to, to build a bit of credibility with the client. It wasn't actually a harmony line. But we went down the cage, which is quite a terrifying experience, like an open lift, and it doesn't go slowly and smoothly, it's wild. You get out, and I actually got out and thought, you know what, I can do this. You know, it looked a bit like Gold Reef City. There, okay. <laughs> there was like a little tram for the loco, it's like a little railway line thing, and we walked quite far, and we got to quite a civilized looking sort of place, where there were jackets, and you know, it looked like this is like kind of where people work, and we had a chat with the guy that was briefing us, safety and whatever. And I thought, you know, all, look, I'm not uh, the most adventurous type. So, you know, this was all like very hectic for me up to then. Then this guy basically looked at the wall and sort of motioned us to follow him up there. And sort of there were little like step ladder steps. And then there was like a little hole at the top just like the, the door opening and, and, and that was that was the beginning of <laughs> quite a lot of um, uh, yeah, torment for me. But that is really going into, into the stove and that's where the workers actually work. And I must say, the only thing I could think of other than like survival was, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think about communication here. I mean, these guys are thinking of anything but. I mean, they are... They are hanging onto the ropes and trying to keep their footing and trying to breathe and get ventilation. And then you get to the face and it's loud, very, very loud. I mean, that's why most miners are deaf after a while. Um, so it's, it's incredibly hectic. I mean, it's, you know, and, but I think out of that, I mean, I came out of that and I thought, you know, how this now, I've got to do something different. I mean, what can you actually do? And, and out of that, we came up with some, some interesting things. I mean, we came up with the, putting together the industrial theatre group of the mine workers. So actual mine workers that we auditioned. And then, you know, there's a lot of places when, you, when you're underground that people sort of wait, waiting places and there's nothing happening. So it kind of was a little bit entertaining and we used song and dance and we used a whole lot of other stuff. And, and they loved it, it worked extremely well. Well, it, it, it must have worked well because if you look at the harmony history, I mean, it came from a uh, you know, as, as, as it goes in the book, I don't know, if we, can, we can verify some of this later on with the CEO here, with the ex here, is, um, you know, it was a mine that just was basically rented, but it went from that and it changed it completely um, up until the stage where they do, they do a, a, a takeover bit of goldfields. And I mean, that was probably one of the most pinnacle deals in South Africa. Um, you know, for, for the mining industry. So, so they must have been able to do something wrong to grow that mine to such a, I mean, it was a mine that was probably three times, they bought a mine that was three times bigger than what, 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 what Harmony was at the stage. You know, gold, gold fields, it was three times the size. And they did a takeover bit. So you must have done something right to be able to, to do those type of things. What was that something that was done right? You know, how did you, how did you get the strategy and the communication and all of that stuff going? except dancing and doing a bit of industrial stuff. There's a lot more than that. Um, you know, I think that one of the, the there, were, there were a few key things that we did, and, and one of the, the things, and I mean, obviously, I, I the management team and the leadership were phenomenal. So you can't, you can't do the stuff, even that we did from a communication point of view, without that leadership team actually doing stuff that's very, very different. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, that we did um, as a starting point that we actually did 
was we said, you know, if you want to communicate with people, you want to take your people with you. There was a lot of hostility because there was the hostile takeover of Ranfantine. People really didn't like these guys at all. Um, and we said, you know what, before we go tell them how fantastic the Harmony Way is, let's go listen to what they say. So we put that whole principle of listening um, into practice. And you know that, it, it, it's incredibly powerful. I mean, the, the stuff that came back was not fantastic. It was not great feedback. Um, but we captured it visually. I've got, there, I use one of, one of the, um, the, the, the examples in the book. Um, and you know, when people feel like their voices have been heard, they're much more open to going forward. That was just the starting point. And then it was about saying, you know, what is this harmony way? How do we define it? Um, and I tell you, we explored, a million ways of getting that message across. Um, one of the ones I was actually telling Zach about recently, um, because I'm, what, I'm an avid fan of Dancing with the Stars now. Um, don't know if I should have put that in public. But. So one of the guys on Dancing with the Stars is Frank Opperman, the, the guy from Orkney Snorkney. Um, and way back in the day, we actually used him to create what we called the harmony little sort of version of Orkney Snorkney, where we had him as a shift boss coming home after a hard day, moaning about the company, you know, so we could speak into all those issues. And then eventually he sat down in front of the TV and he changed, you know, every channel. He just wanted to relax and every channel was a harmony channel. You know, the, there was the, the music, the harmony music, the soccer team that triumphed against all odds. There was the business channel. There was, you know, so eventually old Frank, you know, suddenly changes and stands up and is passionate and whatever. But, so we did lots of quite edgy stuff. That was, I mean, to get that sort of um, signed off and um, approved was, was a process in itself. But we did, we, we, you know, as I say, we tried a lot, but they were, you know, the team, the leadership team were open to it. So, yeah, we did, we did a lot of stuff. Excellent. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask one more question here, then I'm gonna open up the floor for you guys. Um, you used many forms to carry the message. Um, you know, there was, there was, there was obviously there was Bernard's letters that, that, that he distributed to the staff via email. Then there was the, the, the theater stuff, the, 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 the dancing, and there was, it was almost like a bit of an idols where, where people had to choose. There was the Orton snorkeling. Um, and then there was also the visual presentation of the strategy. And I mean, that's fascinating. Was, you know, if, you, if you go into this book, she actually has got those pictures in here. And um, it just, yeah. By the book, you need to. The pictures in here is amazing. This is the first time, and I mean, I've been in lots of strategy sessions, but it's the first time I really saw it nicely, you know, moving from the old strategy to the new strategy and how it gets visually displayed. And people buy stuff when they get it visually. So, so that was well done. And then the story is also being told via via comic. You know, so they would have comics. So when they try and get the message across, they do they do cartoon comics. I mean, where did all of that come from, and how did that work? I don't know where it came from. <laughs> that I can't answer. But you know, it's just that process of constantly thinking and thinking more, and you know, pushing yourself. But I think you know, one of the things that's, I mean, even today, um, one of the things that that worked incredibly well is what we call the the visual strategy map, where you you take a strategy, you convert it into a story, an analogy, and then you visualize it on one piece of one page, one as a picture, and then you 
um, equip the leadership to actually tell that story and have the conversations with their people. It's a very simple thing, but it works incredibly well because of the dialogue, because of the interaction that you create, the engagement, and also because of the visual, because people actually remember pictures. And, and when you put it into a visual, you know, people have a context, they understand, oh, that fits into that. You know, we, we forget, I think, sometimes in businesses, people are just bombarded by, you know, there's the cost-cutting initiative, and then there's the safety thing, and then there's the canteen arrangements for lunch, and then there's just a whole lot of stuff going on all the time, and nobody understands why we're doing anything and how it all fits together. In a visual strategy map, it's a picture, it's a story, and it's you've got to have a plot, just like a story has got to have. So. Once people have seen that, they get it and they remember it. Mm. And, and then people connect to this, like finding Wally. Does anybody remember finding Wally? You know, you look at it, you look for Wally. It's the same thing because people go and they start reading, oh, and that, and that thing has got its, oh, so there's the, the, the values are out there, oh, and that's our purpose, that's written down under that. So it's like finding Wally, it's amazing. Any questions or any comments from the audience? Yes. Okay, so, so, sorry, the, so the question is, um, now that she's written the book, what is, uh, what is she, what's life after the book like? And, and, and are you done with Harmony? Or, or is Harmony living with you? <laughs> I'm not going to talk about those questions. No, but thanks for asking that question because, so, you know, having written the book, it's, it's great and I actually loved, I love writing. So it was a, a really fulfilling experience. But, and a lot of people that have read the book said to me, well, you know, this is great. And, and I've tried to make the book very practical and tools and tips and, you know, all that kind of stuff in it. But people have come back and said, we love the book, but how do we do this in a workplace near us? Um, so what we've actually spent probably the last year doing is we now have um, Escaping the Leadership Riptide workshops for leaders. Where basically, um, you, you know, it's for leaders at any levels, and we, we've taken the, the material, added to it, but it's also very, very practical. Because, you know, I, I really believe, you know, we talk a lot about leadership and it's, it's, it's almost too theoretical, you know, but you actually have to put it into practice. So that is our whole mission in terms of the Escaping the Riptide um, courses. It's about practical tools that you can leave there and you can literally go and try out tomorrow in a workplace. And we've, we've had fantastic results on that. End of commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions? Are you going to write another book? Oh yes. no, yes. you're yes. 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 Please, please answer that for the record. We're just uh, busy uh, recording it. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> huh? uh, action. Yes. 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 You know, I, yes, I want to. Yes. I definitely do. Um, I think that you've got to, I think what happens when you, when you want to write a book is you almost, you know, with this book, it was so many conversations and that feeling of just, I've got to get this out there. I need to put it down. I need to order it. I need to clarify it. I need to communicate it. So as 
time is going on, um, there are a lot of issues that I'm becoming aware of that, that I'm starting to get that same feeling with. Um, but having said that, I know with writing, Deborah, <laughs> that it doesn't just appear. You actually have to sit down and you have to make time and then the inspiration flows. So I need to actually make some time and get to it. I'm holding you A good writer friend of mine says you need to get your ass to chair syndrome right. You know, that's the only way. Um, any other questions? Stephen. managed to convince the leadership team to get the, the leadership team to buy into doing stuff creatively because they're usually very left-brain, logical, you know, we're going to do it the old way because this is the industry way and this is the standard of how we're going to do it. How did you get them to go wild? Because they did go wild. I mean, you must listen to some of the songs that they made up here um, and, and, and one of my favorite, Pink, Pink Floyd, The Wall. It's, it's in here and then they use the CEO's name, um, you know, about... <laughs> We're not getting out of here. And, and they had the guts to do that. Um, but you know, it's that type of creativity. How do you support that? How did, how, how did you manage to get that out? You know, I honestly feel it's much more like, you know, God's grace than anything that we actually did. Um, I think it, it's a leader um, that was burnout at the time that was actually appreciative of creativity, very creative himself. Um, and he had a few guys around him that supported it. By no means, I mean, you know, it's all a very long time ago, but let me not leave you under the impression that everybody loved it. I mean, people, you can imagine mining engineering guys died in the wool and you come with this kind of stuff. I mean, there was huge resistance. But I think one of the things I learned is that you have to get, you know, the guy that is the leader you need that person's support because otherwise, you know, no matter how creative your stuff is that you try, it isn't going to have the credibility, you know, it isn't going to actually work. So I think one of the things that made it really work was, was Bernard and his team's support because when we did these weird and wonderful things, they were always there, totally bought in, supporting it, doing it, um, you know, and, and you actually need that and unfortunately, it's, it's hard to find those clients. Um, you know, they're not on every street corner, I don't think. But, but we can convince them. We can convince them. Chip away. I've got, now I'm gonna, I'll open up for two more questions and then we're going to call it a, a beautiful evening for this round. We're going to phase two. But I mean, leadership is really about, you know, doing the bold stuff. It's not about doing the conventional stuff. So if you want to, if, you know, it's passion that has to drive it. You know, it's that un unspoken stuff, it's your energy, it's your belief in stuff, and that is really what moves things. It's not the conventional stuff that moves things. Yeah, it, it, it really is. I think you have to believe in what you're doing 
so much um, that, that, that you just sort of convince other people that, that we have to go that way. And I think also, you know, I mean, it's more difficult, you know, I see now with clients that are a lot more conservative, if things are all going well and there's not the need to change or there's not the need for this, they'll, they'll take the more conservative route. So sometimes I think, you know, possibly because Harmony was such a maverick and it was one of those against all odds kind of companies, it, it makes, they, they, they exist in that environment, they're used to it, there are no guarantees and, and that makes it a little bit easier, it's harder in your traditional mainstream corporates. I mean, I smiled um, a few years ago, I went to a meeting in a very, very conservative big mining company that all of you would know, and walked in there and they had one of the things that we'd done at Harmony many years before, the Harmony Way manual on the table, and they said, we believe you were um, you know, a key person in this and can you do this for us? And I said, well, you know, I, I can help you with the pictures and you know, the concepts, but you need the leadership that's going to lead this. You know, the con I can't, I can't you know, make, change your leadership. You guys actually have to have the right attitude. So, yeah. How did that go down in that institution? <laughs> yeah, no, I still, I still have a client. No, okay. <laughs> any, any more questions from, from you guys? Any, any questions or statements? Yes. So thank you very much for that. Very good question. So what, so what that is about is, you know, when Tracy goes into the client, she's really asking, is, is there a way that you, you can recommend, you know, you know, what type of leadership it would take to do the type of stuff you have in here? Um, you know, can you, yeah, can you basically recommend any, any, any suggestions to their leadership? You know, I think one of the things that we have to try and change is you know, what's happened, what I've seen a lot of in corporate is that the technical expert is usually the person that is in the top job. Um, so the best engineer is the CEO of the engineering company. The best mine, mining engineer is the CEO of the mining company. The best actuary, you know, so, and so on. And those people are not necessarily the best leaders. Um, so I think that is you know, a mindset that we have to start working with. But then, having said that, I really believe that everybody can find the leader within themselves if they're looking for the leader within themselves. So I, I had a client, I still work with them now, it's an engineering consulting company. They're very, as I say, engineering-ish. Sorry, Darren. But they are just 
classic engineers. And, but, but they, something in them made them want to do all this, as you call it, crazy stuff. <laughs> Some of the crazy stuff. And, you know, you sort of just lead them to the point at which they are a little bit uncomfortable every time. So in a way, you have to sort of lead the leaders to where you kind of feel they need to develop to. Um, I mean, I, unfortunately, walking into clients, you, you know, you're not, it's not a fantastic bed of roses. They don't roll, roll out the red carpet for you. And, you know, you're working with people that are not used to doing this kind of thing. So you have to try and appeal to that part of them and, and, and get them to sort of open up a little bit and follow you. Thank you. One more, one more question. Yes. Yes. Great question, thank you. So it's really about, is this book also for the smaller entrepreneur, you know, the smaller guy, because it's the, this, the, the smaller entrepreneur is probably, you know, yeah, that entrepreneur. So is this for the entrepreneur, because entrepreneur is a lot more focused on purpose, as opposed to the big corporates like Harmony, where they're driven by, you know, they've got a standard business model, things are working, there's already a flow in. Is this book for the entrepreneurs? I would say it's almost easier for your small and medium enterprises um, and, and, and you know NGOs and purpose-driven businesses because often in, in the big corporates they've kind of got their you know the sort of purpose that comes down from you know the global operations or whatever it is so it's harder to sort of inject it in a way whereas if you're dealing with an entrepreneur they, you know it's, it's, it's driving them um, so, you're, so certainly, I think there's huge benefit in terms of small and medium enterprises going this route. And it's almost, you know, they, they are more agile, they're more open, they can change, they can do this stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a joy to work with, with those businesses. Tracy, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate that you've uh, been at the Business Book Club, that you made some time available for us brought your family along in your support and supporting the Business Book Club. Thank you so much. I am so appreciative of your time here. I'm so appreciative of the book and the stories that you've shared with us in your book. Guys, you know, the thing that I'm really taking away from this book is it, it opened up my mind and I was thinking, you know, I've got to get this to some of my clients, CEOs running businesses, where they, where they need to understand there's a different way of communication. And that is really what Tracy so well illustrated in such a a conservative industry where you think that something like this would never work because it is the crazy ones who change the world and she's taken something so crazy and she's made it work in such a conservative environment I promise you if it can work in that environment it can work anywhere else and the tips and the tools that she shared in this book is extremely valuable you will get to understand how to communicate differently and there's there's a lovely poet called David White so if you, if you ever want to go and read about poetry, go and read David White, and he's got two TED Talks. 
And David White talks a lot about this, and it's about the conversation. And he takes poetry to the next level. He takes poetry into leadership and helps people communicate through poetry. What Tracy is talking about is about the visualization. She talks about song and dance. She talks about cartoons. She talks about stories. Guys, this is the new way of communication. The old blip point power point is BS. It's gone. People don't understand. We're not connecting to people. And you know, when we work in, in, in business and when we work in our families and in our friendship structures, we've got to use these new, new methods because that's where we can connect. And if we connect, we can create a stronger environment to live in and hopefully a much nicer and fun one. So I'm appreciative of you bringing that to us. Thank you so much, Tracy, for, for spending this evening with us. We are highly appreciative, ladies. If you want to, ladies and gentlemen, afterwards, Tracy, you're going to be here around. Uh, she will sign your books. Please buy at least one, uh, preferably two. Um, Tracy spoke a bit about her workshop. I read about it this morning. She's got a workshop for, for women. It's, this one is for women, but it's generally for everybody. But you've got one for women on the 16th, 19th and 20th at the Joe Country Club with me, that one. Yeah. Okay. So she's got one going there, so if you're interested or you know somebody that could benefit, please share details. Um, but Tracy will be here if you want to talk to her more about that. Otherwise, please just join us, have fun. Um, I really want to thank Deborah for Scoops. You guys are absolutely amazing. You've got such stunning and friendly staff. You know, every time I come in here, they just so, they always just greet and they smile. Um, they are so helpful. Thank you for this lovely establishment that we could use. We are so, so appreciative. Um, for Kirsten who isn't here tonight, you know, please extend our, our thanks and our gratitude towards her. And then lastly for you guys, thank you for attending. Thank you for being here with us. It is always fun. Thank you for asking questions and engaging. Please stay afterwards, have a few drinks with us, chill, relax, ask Tracy a lot more questions. And please ask her, how come she worked for Harmony and Bernard was the CEO and now there's a thing going between them. You know, I just didn't make that click. But please stay afterwards and ask her. Thank you. <laughs> this thing going has been going for 40 years how many years we've been married for 14 years so, yeah. so it's a good thing it's a good thing that going great thank you very much everyone thank you so much this was beautiful thank you
Can you put a link here? Oh, yeah, that would be...